Last time we were in this particular passage, we actually began to look at the wardrobe itself, if you remember, and we looked at the first item of clothing that Paul mentions here, which is the bowels of mercies. And you'll uh, recall that we noted that these items of clothing mark out the Christian from the rest of the world. And as Christians, we're to wear these garments, these holy garments, uh, just like Aaron, you remember, wore his high priestly clothes. We're to wear them for glory and for beauty. And this evening I want us to move on to the next item of clothing, which you'll notice there is kindness. Kindness. And I want us to think about uh, a number of things. I think I've got five things I want us to uh, think about as we think about this uh, garment of kindness. And the first thing that I want us to consider this evening is a definition. How could we uh, define kindness? What What is kindness? Well, kindness means, in a very obvious sense, to be kind, doesn't it? To treat someone kindly. It's the the opposite of unkindness. Being inconsiderate, unhelpful, severe even, or cruel. And we can think of lots of examples of people who were unkind in the scripture. You think of Nabal, for example, in 1 Samuel 25. Remember when David asked him if he would provide some food for his men... And Nabal says in that chapter in verse 25, he says, Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? And Nabal was churlish, he was unkind. Or you could think in the New Testament of the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember how the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that parable and the priest and the Levite walk on past the man who's been robbed and left half dead in in all his misery by the side of the road. But kindness, however, is that quality of being warm-hearted, being considerate, sympathetic, readily generous. And kind acts are always intended for the improvement of someone else's situation. It's seeing a need and then seeking to help that person in that need. Really, uh, kindness is the the practical outworking of what we were thinking of last time. Remember how last time we were thinking of bowels of compassion, which is, or bowels of mercy, which is that inward compassion. Well, kindness really is the outward action that flows from those bowels of mercy. It's the, the fruit, as it were, that grows out of that inner pity within us. Perhaps just to put it in a slightly different way, if bowels of mercy speaks of the heart's reaction then kindness, we might say, speaks of the hand's exertion. Kindness requires effort. It's, it's active. Kindness is deeply practical. It's taking seriously the reality of somebody's situation and then seeking to actively support them, caring for them, providing for them. And so that's what kindness is, if we could define it. It's that outward Uh, action that flows from the heart. Well, the second thing I want us to notice from this kindness is a a distinction, because the kindness that's being mentioned here is different from the world's kindness. This is a, a very important point, because we do see kindness displayed throughout the world, don't we? We see and hear of people who do very kind acts and do very kind things to each other, but The kindness that Paul is speaking of here is distinct and it's exclusive. Natural man, uh, sinful man, doesn't wear this item of clothing. 
The unbeliever does not and cannot display this virtue. Now, perhaps you think I'm being a little bit harsh when I say that. There are, as I said, lots of people who are not Christians who are very kind people and Sadly, sometimes many unbelievers are far kinder than many believers, and that's to our shame, isn't it? But the kindness that Paul mentions here is different. The kindness we see in society, it's, that's part of God's common grace, that God restrains so much sin and he uh, actually reigns back so much unkindness. But this kind of kindness that Paul mentions here is only ever displayed by the child of God. Now, Uh, To understand what I mean, just turn back with me to Romans chapter 3 and verse 12. Here, Paul, he quotes from the Psalms, he quotes from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. And he's speaking about man in his sin. And he says there in verse 12, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And the word that is translated there as good is exactly the same word as our word kindness in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Interestingly, actually, Paul is the only one who uses this particular Greek word in, in the whole of the Old Testament. No one else does. And he says here, look, there is none who acts kindly. There is none who is good, as he puts it here. There are, there are no exceptions All men everywhere are unkind. Man by nature is filled, isn't he, with all manner of wickedness and envy and maliciousness and murder and so on, all the vices that you read in in Romans chapter 1. And we have to say, don't we, that this is a hard saying in some ways, and who can hear it? But Paul is saying to us, look, this grace is foreign to the unbeliever. He doesn't wear this item of clothing. He may wear a cloak which appears very similar and bears certain resemblances, but ultimately the unbeliever's kindness is always mingled with sin and selfishness. Brackle, the, um, the Dutch theologian, is well worth reading his books, if you, if you have them, The Christian's Reasonable Service. He puts it in this way, he says, Outwardly, an unconverted person can perform whatever a godly person performs. He says, however, that the distinction is as great as the difference between the artificial motion of a watch and the motion of a living being. And I find that quite a helpful way to think about it. The unbeliever is like the motion of a watch. It's mechanical. He may follow what Christians do. He may be kind. He may perform the same things that a Christian does. But it's artificial. Whereas the Christian has new life and has has that motion of a living being. And so... As believers, we have this spiritual life and therefore we display spiritual kindness. It's the kindness that has a a spiritual aim and it has the spiritual welfare of others at its heart and ultimately, of course, this kindness has at its ultimate end the glory of God in view. And so as we read this passage back in Colossians chapter 3, it's distinct. It's a distinct kindness. Only the believer wears this garment But then thirdly, we could notice the origination of this grace. Where does this grace then come from? What's the the root or or source of this kindness? It shouldn't really surprise us then to say that true kindness comes from God. He is the one who is perfectly good and perfectly kind. 
He is the fountain. And Paul, when he uses this word in his letters, the majority of the time he actually is speaking of God when he uses this particular Greek word. Let me just give you some examples of this. Just go back to Romans again, Romans chapter 2. Here he uses the word a number of times and he's speaking about God. If you go to Romans chapter 2 and verse 3 and 4, he says this, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? And again, that word goodness there is the same word, kindness. You could go on just a couple of chapters into Romans chapter 11. And again, Paul uses this same word, goodness or kindness, to speak of God. Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. He says there, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Again, so he's describing God. God is good. God is kind. God is the one who is the originator, the fountain, the source of kindness. You could just have uh, one more, Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. Paul writes, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man Appeared And again, you see that word kindness there. Um, Paul is speaking about God and our Saviour. Kindness comes from God. And not only do we see this attribute, of course, throughout the writings of Paul, but over and over again, we see it in the Old Testament too. You think of the Psalms, regularly speak of the loving kindness of God. Psalm 36, verse 7, for example, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! It's a loving kindness that we're told is better than life. And we're told in Psalm 103 that God crowns his people with this loving kindness. And in Isaiah 54, we're told that the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but the Lord's kindness shall not depart. And so we see that the, the fountain, the source, is God. Kindness comes from him. And it flows to us by the Holy Spirit. You just think of those familiar words um, in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The Apostle mentions this same word here in um, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Again, it's the same Greek word, faith, meekness, temperance and so on. When we think of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul is encouraging us to cultivate it, isn't he? And to, to grow it, as it were. And, and I think this is helpful for us to think about because our natural temperament might not lean towards kindness. We may be the kind of people who often react in an unkind way. Perhaps we find it difficult to be kind. Some people find it easy, don't they, to make snide remarks or to give a clever put-down to people. We can look at other people's problems and, and difficulties and we can be critical rather than caring. Now I think this is more of a male tendency 
than a female tendency. Men tend to be more... Uh, this seems to be more of their temperament, doesn't it? It's a, you know, we tend to be harsher than women. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and men can often be harsh in that way and be competitive, whereas ladies tend to be much kinder. But we're all encouraged by Paul to cultivate kindness and to pray for it. I think that's an encouragement, that if we're not particularly kind, then pray for it. Pray that you would be kinder. Struggle in prayer with God. Pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to put on this kindness. Ask the Lord to help you to look at other people's problems and issues through the lens of kindness rather than through the lens of selfishness. Let's seek to be the Christians who, through faith, are exercising this true God-like kindness. Too often we can be critical, can't we? We can look at things and we can uh, pour contempt on them and pour scorn on them. And if that, that was us in that position, we would do better than that. But Paul says to us, no, put on kindness. Cultivate goodness. Cultivate this kindness in your hearts and pray for it. There's a fourth thing that I want us to notice uh, this evening, and that's the manifestation of this grace. How is this grace to be seen? We already noted earlier that this kindness is practical. But how can we show this virtue? I think there's a, a, a couple of key ways that we can do this, and one way is through our words, isn't it? Remember what Solomon writes, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver and we should seek to use our words to be kind a soft tongue we're told breaketh the bone you think of the description of the virtuous woman in proverbs chapter 31 we're told that she openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness the question we have tonight do we have the law of kindness in our tongues do we speak kindly to each other Do we speak kindly when we're at home? Do we speak kindly to the people that we work with? And it may be obvious to say this, but kind words take uh, many different forms, don't they? Uh, Maybe a word of sympathy to someone who's grieving. It may be uh, that you come and you uh, speak a, a word of encouragement to the person who's downcast. Remember how the Lord Jesus Christ spoke kindly to Mary and Martha when Lazarus had died. He comes alongside and he uses kind words. Maybe it's a a kind comment to someone who's sick. Maybe a word of comfort. Paul exhorts us, doesn't he, that this is something that we should do. We should use our experiences and our times of trouble to comfort others. Remember what he says in 2 Corinthians. He tells the Corinthians there to use the comfort that they've been comforted with to then comfort those who need comforting. I think this is an important point. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And I think particularly those who are older, you've perhaps been through more experiences and you perhaps 
have been through illness and you've been out the other side or you've been bereaved, you know what it's like. And God says, well, use the experiences as a Christian that you've had to comfort other people. Show kindness, draw alongside. Point to the promises of God's word, perhaps that comforted you. Point to passages of scripture that perhaps were an encouragement to you. And God says, look, use this kindness, use these comforting thoughts to comfort others. Use your experiences. Now, of course, words of comfort can come in other ways, can't it? Or I should say words of kindness could come in other ways. We sometimes perhaps have to use words of rebuke in kindness. We may have to warn someone of a particular sin. We may in kindness have to rebuke a fellow believer. And, and that is kindness too. It's a, you know, if you see someone approaching a fire and they're going to put their hand in it, you want to pull them back. That's kindness. I try and tell my children this when I'm telling them off. It doesn't always seem to go in. But you try and explain to them that it's a kind thing to warn them of the things that they're doing. And as Christians, we perhaps need to do that more and more. Perhaps we're afraid of how they're going to react. But it's kindness to warn them and rebuke them and reprove them. And of course, when we come to think of our words in kindness, Christ is our great example, isn't he? You think about in the Gospels how he so often speaks with such kindness to people and tenderness. He spoke kindly, didn't he, to the woman who touched the hem of his garment, whose faith was very weak, and yet he he just deals with her so tenderly. Or you think about the woman caught in adultery, how he speaks so kindly to her. Or you think about how, on, even on the cross, how he speaks so kindly to his mother as he looks down at the cross and he sees her in all our need. I think uh, I find that scene particularly touching when you think of Christ there. He could have been so concerned with himself and all his pain and all the grief and agony that he was going through. And then he looks with such tenderness and compassion upon his own mother and sees the future for her without a son probably without a husband, and and he shows such pity for her in all her needs and speaks such words of comfort to her. What kindness displayed by the King of Kings. And of course, another way that we can manifest this kindness is through our actions. In Isaiah 58, the Lord lays down a number of ways. Just turn with me to this passage. Roger forwarded me an email today from Caring for Life, thanking the church for the gifts that we gave at Harvest. And at the bottom of it, I don't know if you noticed, Roger, was Isaiah 58, about giving. It's a wonderful passage here. Um, It's funny, as you sent the email through, I had this passage open and I was reflecting on it, so it came at a very timely moment. But here the, the Lord's pointing out that they were fasting in a wrong way. At the beginning of verse of Isaiah 58, and if you go down into into verse seven, he shows to them what really true fasting is. He says, "This is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh." He says, "This is this is true giving and true fasting to to do these things." You go down to verse ten. He says, "And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday." 
He encourages them. This is what you need to do. He mentions a number of things there, doesn't he? Food to the hungry, providing shelter for the homeless, clothing for the naked. Remember how Christ, of course, also commends this, doesn't he? To give a cup of cold water to a little one. Job is a great example of this. You just go back into Job. Remember uh, a few weeks ago when Willie Horsborough was here, we read Job chapter 29. And Job there describes some of the things that he did. And he's a great example of somebody who used his wealth and his possessions to then, with action, help the poor and the needy. You look at what he says um, in Job 29 and um, verse 12, for example, because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. He, he looked out and, he, and he, he was looking for ways to help people and he sees the widow and he sees the fatherless and he comes along and he wants to, to help them. And uh, it's a wonderful um, passage there and uh, you go down even into um, a couple of chapters, Job 31. And we have the same, you, we don't have time to read all of this, but from verse 16 all the way through to verse 22, he lists all the ways in which he helped people. How he withheld, he had the poor before him. And he says, look, I, if I sat down to eat and there was someone outside who needed to eat, I made sure they had food. I didn't sit down until they had food. And how he sought out clothing for the poor and, and so on. And he gave them of his wealth. And you see how he he tried to help people. And here's kindness in action. Here's the bowels of mercy being stirred up to then give and and to show that kindness. And he was a a father to the poor, he says, back in chapter 29. Perhaps, though, the, the greatest example is David and his kindness. You remember when he took lame Mephibosheth in and he asks, you know, is there anyone that I can show kindness to? And he takes Mephibosheth, doesn't he, this lame uh, boy, this, this lame son of Jonathan, and he makes him to sit at the king's table and to eat the king's food. And what, what kindness that was. He treats him like a son. And of course, there's so many other examples. You can think of Boaz and his kindness to Ruth. He sees this widow in her need and her poverty, and his compassion is displayed in, in such wonderful ways in that he brings her to the table and he provides for her gives her everything that she needs. And of course we could just keep going with loads and loads of examples. We've already mentioned before in another one about Dorcas. Remember in Acts 9 and how she makes those clothes and so on. Full of good works we read. See this is kindness in action. And as we said before, Christ is our great example, isn't he? Visited the sick, he healed the diseased, he raised the dead to life. There was just act after act of extraordinary kindness. And we ask ourselves the question, is the mind of Christ in us? Are we kind? We could add another way that we can display this kindness, and that's even through just non-verbal behaviour, you know, things that are silent acts, wordless acts. One story, I think, of a silent act in, in the Bible of kindness is, you remember Shem and Japheth, when... Their father was drunk and he was naked and they walked backwards to cover his nakedness. They were preserving his dignity. 
remember Ham did the opposite and he laughed about it and so on. He was unkind to his father, but Shem and Japheth, they were kind. And they displayed their kindness in this silent act as they covered him. And of course, sometimes these acts may be small. Acts which may be almost imperceptible. You know, an arm around a person's shoulder. You know, giving a hurting child a hug, holding someone's hand in a hospital bed. You know, these are acts of kindness. And kindness can be displayed with just a look. It can be displayed with just a smile or, or a touch. You think of the Lord Jesus Christ again when he touched the leper. You remember when the leper came to him and he falls down before Christ. He was an outcast. He was unclean. He probably hadn't felt the touch of a human for years. And Christ didn't need to touch him. Christ uh, could have just healed him with a word. And yet Christ, we read, in his compassion, he reaches out and he touches the leper. We see there what compassion, what kindness from our Saviour. Human touch is is so important, isn't it? You think of holding a child's hand, how important that is to them, or a hug. And yet Christ here, he he saw the importance of touch and he reaches out and just touched him. So we see these different ways that we can be kind and we need to ask ourselves, don't we, am I displaying this kindness? Am I someone who loves to be kind to other people? But the last thing... Uh, this evening that perhaps we can focus on is the motivation for this grace. We've seen the definition, we've seen its distinction, we've seen uh, how we're to apply this and manifest this grace, but what's our motivation as Christians? Well, again, we could answer this perhaps in a number of ways, but I think the first thing is that we're commanded to. We're commanded to do this, aren't we? We're commanded here, put on, this grace put on these bowels of mercies. But there's, there's many others. The passage that we read at the very beginning is a command in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15 and verses 7 and 8, they were commanded there by the Lord to not shut up their bowels of mercy, to not shut up their hands. You know, as it says there, verses 7, if there be any among you, a poor man of one of thy brethren, with any of thy gates in the land, which thy Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide. You know, you're to give. Give liberally. And even when it comes up to uh, the year that of um, harvest, was it, the, the year of, the seventh year, the year of release, you know, you're not to look and say, well, this is my, you know, get out clause from doing this. No, you're to give, you're to give, you're to, you're to be kind. And of course, we're commanded this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be ye kind, he says, one to another, tender hearted. Be ye kind, he says. It's a, it's a command. Jesus encourages us to, to even extend this principle, not just to the poor, but to anyone in need. In Luke 6.35, he says, lend, hoping for nothing again. Give, lend, give your brother what he needs. And don't expect to have it back. That's kindness. And we are, of course, to be kind to God's people. You remember Galatians 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. But then he says this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. 
We're to give, we're to be good unto all men. But especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially when we hear of those suffering around the world and those who are in great needs. But of course this principle doesn't end with, with just uh, the household of faith or those in need, but it, we're even to do it to our enemies. Romans twelve twenty. Therefore if thine enemy hunger, feed him. Sermon on the Mount, Christ exhorts us saying, do good to them that hate you. We should to show this kindness. And James tells us that this kindness is the very essence of pure religion. It's to visit the fatherless. That's, that's what pure religion is. It's to be kind. And we're to do this not grudgingly or of necessity, but cheerfully. Remember what Paul says, God loveth a cheerful giver. And so friends, we should be kind because we're commanded to be kind. But another reason is because there's great rewards for those who give. We're told, aren't we, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Psalm 41 says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Luke 6.38, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. The wonderful picture that, that Christ uses there, isn't it, is of the market man who, you know, if you, if you come and you want to buy, uh, you know, as it were, like a bucket of, of wheat or whatever, of grain, you know, the miserly man just pours it in until it reaches the, you know, somewhere near the top and then says, that's enough. But the, the man who's, who's kind, he comes along and he shakes it and he shakes it from side to side and he pats it down and he adds more on top and he keeps doing that and then he just fills it up till it's overflowing. And Christ says, this is what it's like. Give and it shall be given to you. This is how we're to be. We're to be kind. But another reason that we could add is because we're to do it to the glory of God. You remember what Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. You see, when we give, we're not giving it because we want something back. We're not giving it because we want other people to praise us or to, you know, salute us and be, think we're wonderful, but we're to do it because we're giving it ultimately to the Lord, with an eye to the glory of God. And Jesus said the same in Matthew 25 and verse 40. He says, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. When we give, when we're kind, when we show and put on this kindness, we're doing it for Christ and for his glory. But of course the the greatest reason why we should really seek to show kindness is because great kindness has been shown to us. It's displayed, isn't it, in Christ. Christ's kindness is the ultimate kindness. His kindness took him from glory to Golgotha. It took him from paradise to his pain and all his suffering. His sacrificial death on the cross is, is the greatest act of kindness, isn't it? And it was for us. It was sacrificial. It was... He didn't expect, in a sense, anything back, but it was for us. And as Christians, we should seek to to follow his example, shouldn't we? We should seek to strive to to be like our master. He was kind, and so should we. It's because we are holy in him, as we were thinking about before, holy and beloved, that we are elect, that we should now want to put on this kindness. Kindness. And so we may say, well, we need God's help to do it, don't we? And we have a time of prayer in a moment. Let's pray that God would help us to put on kindness. Especially if we perhaps find it difficult to do that. Perhaps if we especially are those who are critical and 
and harsh. And so may God help us and enable us not to grow weary in well-doing and not to love merely in words, neither in tongue, one John tells us. But he says, let's love in deed and in truth.